Welcome to the podcast of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover, and as you may have noticed, our TGIF regular, Tommy Dean, has been missing from our panel. He's back in America for a couple of months. And while we've missed him on TGIF, he's instead been joining us with a weekly letter from America. So if you're keen on catching up with him, stay listening at the end of this podcast for Tommy Dean's Letter from America. But first, this week's TGIF. We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... Welcome to a special edition of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover, and we've got guests joining us. Well, it's you this week from all over New South Wales. Welcome. Here at the ABC, we've had to close our doors to studio guests, our lovely, usual TGIF audience, thanks to the coronavirus outbreak. So we thought we'd dive you into some highlights of TGIF's favourite segments for the next week or two. Coming up from your favourite TGIF panellists, Gene Kitson, Rob Carlton, Rebecca De Unamuno, Carlo Ritchie, Mandy Nolan, Gary Eck, Gretel Colleen, Richard Feidler, Subby Valentine with music this week from Dog Trumpet. All coming to you this hour on Thank God It's Friday. Thank God It's Friday with Richard Glover. First, as usual, let's kick off this special edition of Thank God It's Friday with the news from nowhere. Can I ask a question? Is there anything more annoying than being lectured by your own son on a topic about which you have long lectured him. Here's the space cadet last Sunday on the subject of our shed. Dad, he says, the shed is a real mess. You can't find a chisel when you need one. Oh, really? Now, why would that be? Five years ago, the chisel was right there on the chisel shelf between the other chisels, all lined up in order of blade width. The workbench gleamed with a light coating of teak oil, a a single hammer resting idly on its surface ready for use. A sequence of saws rose against the wall, much like the pipes of a church organ. The shed was perfect, mainly because my own incompetence as a handyman meant the place was hardly used. (laughs) Into this Garden of Eden marched the space cadet. At age 14, he developed an interest in building things. It was a misfortune from which the shed has never recovered. (laughs) With each project, the devastation was worse. He was an earthquake. He was a flood. He was the Roman army marching on Carthage, leaving the fields salted and the crops burnt. At the end of each project, I'd instruct him to clean up. But somehow it never happened. I'd be forced to enter the devastated region to try to reassert order. The chisels would be liberated from beneath piles of sawdust and placed back on their shelf. The screwdrivers would be picked up off the floor the floor and slotted back in their box. The nails upended from their jar on the bench 
upended would be placed back in the jar. I didn't mind the first 20 or 30 times. It was good to see him having an interest. Then I realised the problem. Every time the shed was clean, he'd instantly begin another project. A cleaned-up shed was an incitement to fresh activity. Why didn't you make him clean up after himself? I hear your question whistling by. I choose to ignore you. Sometimes one's parenting is imperfect, and such imperfection brings its own punishment. There is no need for the jury, that's you, to award additional damages. And so I tidy up after him. Yet knowing that each tidy up will bring forth a new project, the gap between tidying grows ever longer until slowly, slowly, it extends to never. And that's where we are now. I'm on strike. I haven't cleaned up the shed since the beginning of the year. How bad could it get? I asked myself. The answer was, very bad. <laughs> Soon it was difficult to get in the door. By turning this way and that, stepping over toolboxes and squeezing past teetering piles of timber, you could occasionally come across an empty floor big enough to stand upon. And from that vantage point, you could stare into the Stygian gloom and hope that chance might cause your eye to alight upon the tool that you wished to use. Not so much a needle in a haystack as an adjustable spanner in a solid cube of crap. <laughs> Surely, at this point, the space cadet would clean up the shed. Not quite. Instead, he moved his carpentry operation onto the outdoor wooden table, which in years past had been the setting for barbecues, a few friends sitting around quaffing Chardonnay, but which now features a bolted-on belt sander, a drop saw, a large pile of pine offcuts, and the old recycling crate full of tools going rusty because the outdoor table isn't undercover. <laughs> Jocasta says she wants the table back. She says the space cadet is like a colonising army seizing more and more territory, crushing the local populace until life itself loses all meaning. I say, what? You're comparing your younger son to the Taliban? <laughs> Pretty much, she answers, although without the oppressive medievalist ideology. Still, I refuse to clean up the table. If we wait long enough, the space cadet will be forced to act. Which brings us to last Sunday and his comment. Oh, shed is a real mess, Dad. You can't find a chisel when you need one. Is that so? I reply. I wonder why. I have plans, he says, to clean it out and set it up properly. Good idea, I say, as if the thought surprises me with its freshness and novelty. <laughs> and so he removes everything from the shed and places it all on the back lawn. Benches, shelves, piles of timber, bags of concrete... He repaints the interior and scrubs the floor. He installs new lighting. That was early in the week. Then it started raining. <laughs> the rain, I must say, hasn't done a lot for the bags of concrete. <laughs> or for the sheets of chipboard. We now have a near-empty shed and a backyard that looks like New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. The wooden table, though, is free of tools all of them given pride of place in the newly cleaned-out shed. It may be time, this Father's Day, to invite some friends over. And that's the news from nowhere. Thank God it's... Thank God it's...
TGIF, The Wheel of Death, fills many of our panellists full of fear, not just because of its name. Each week, our studio audience comes in with a bunch of random topics and puts them up on a chocolate wheel. And one lucky panellist is then charged with the task of speaking entirely impromptu on that topic. Back on the 1st of November, it was Wheel of Death superstar Rebecca de Unamuno's turn. This time, she had a little help from Colin Buchanan, who joined her on the guitar. Their topic was horse. Right. Horse, okay. Horse do you want to go Johnny Cash? Yeah, let's do that. Johnny Cash, horse. And it's good you could do a, like a spoken yeah, verse. I, mate. Yeah, okay, yeah, I've got okay, it. We, I'm with you. We haven't rehearsed this, by the way. That will become very obvious in a moment. <laughs> Well, put your suggestions there in the bowl. I'll tell you a tale about a famous foal. It's a thing that's a horse when it's little when it's born. And here is a story. Eat some corn. Go home, eat some corn. Oh, no, no, go and eat some corn. Now, this little horse, he was born on a farm. The horse, when he came out, gave his mother harm. The mother didn't seem to make it that day, but it's okay, okay. Hey, okay. hey. Okay, okay, it's okay. Okay, okay, it's okay. okay. Now, this little horse, he had a good name. It was Bill, it was Bill, and Bill sought fame. Because Bill wanted to be something not like all the others. He wanted to be Bill the mother. I nearly swore. She nearly swore. swore. Did you hear then? She nearly swore. So Bill, this horse, she ate all the hay. He always ran around the paddock all day. And one little man, he was a jockey. He came up to him and he said, knocky, knocky on his knees. Because he's little. He can reach the side of a horse. He was a little, little man. He was just a jockey. He went up to the horse and he went knocky, knocky. He said to little Bill there, I'd like to use this here stair and climb on your back and ride you in a race. Bill said, nah, and sprayed him in the face. <laughs> sprayed him in the face, it was a big disgrace. He went in that horse, he sprayed him in the face. Wait, wait, wait. Key change. <laughs> So, as Bill got older, he started to think, and he started to eat more, and he started to drink, and he decided that he needed to travel real far, and he opened up the saloon doors and walked into a bar. (laughs) And the barman said, hey, this is the place, let me ask your son, why the long face? Bill said, that's one thing, of course, cause my name, it's Bill, and I'm a horse. isn't she? Well, Rob Carlton tackled the Wheel of Death in February. His topic? Well, for the big Rob Carlton, the topic was Big Ted. Okay, so Big Ted, I need to talk about that. Can I just be clear just with one thing before I get started? (laughs) Um, Big Ted doesn't actually have any words, does he? No. He doesn't. And that's because Big Ted is an idiot. (laughs) It's true. And here's the great sadness of a show like... 
Play school. Play school, thank you very much. <laughs> the Big Ted is on. We've been holding up Big Ted as a hero to our children, and yet in the same breath, all over this great Australia, we start decrying the output of our schools. And the reason our kids are illiterate, the reason our kids are no good at mathematics, because they're brought up to hail as a hero a bear that can't talk. And the reason the bear can't talk is because the bear is dumber than a bear. So the one bear we've got... And, and obviously, we've, we've made him stand upright. So the one thing that he had going in his favour which was being down on all fours so he could snuffle at the ground and find things to eat. We've taken that away from him, <laughs> right? So we've, he's, we, he's got no brains, yeah? He doesn't have the capacity of a normal bear and we're asking children to look up to this creature, which brings us to role models, Richard. <laughs> what are we presenting to our children with regards to a better life? And this is, you laugh, but this is a very serious thing. These young kids, I mean, two, three, they're four years old when they start looking, watching this show. They're just in, in, in the embryonic part of creating their own dreams, creating their own future. Because obviously, they haven't started paying anything into their, their um, superannuation fund. <laughs> Yet that's a few years off. But let's give them credit for the volition that they have as a four-year-old. And the first thing we do is we place a, a, a bear. Its mouth doesn't even move properly, does it? It's, got a, its mouth doesn't move. It doesn't have actually proper teeth, does it? And, and again, kids at that age, they need to... They want to be growing teeth. <laughs> and again, they're looking at Ted and he's got no teeth. So you're pretty much taking away everything that that child can strive for. They're trying to grow their teeth. Ted doesn't have anything. That thing, stuff it. I'm going to do it. We're developing children that don't want teeth. <laughs> We're developing children that don't want to speak. We're developing children that can't count. I mean, it can hug, can't it? No. Can what? Big Ted can hug, can't it? Well, uh, he can be hugged. Okay, again, well, well, so it can be <laughs> For the love of human kindness, at what point is the bear going to stand up and give something back? <laughs> you know, who does it hang out? Does it have any friends? So it wants to be hugged. That's the me, me, me society. And again... <laughs> We, we talk about children of today saying, me, me, me. Where does it come back to? And this is the ABC. You're an ABC employee. He's a colleague of yours, isn't he, Richard? So when you see Big Ted... On to you, actually, for a moment, mate. When you see Big Ted down in the cafeteria, have you ever brought any of this up? Have any of your colleagues ever bought any? You're on the hook for this stuff, mate. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the future of our, of our people. Uh, no, I haven't mentioned it, actually. You haven't mentioned it all. Gary, have you mentioned it all? He's got hair, at least, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm more concerned about the chair in there. <laughs> the chair, the chair in there? In there. The, the Ted's not sitting on the chair. He's just, he's just thrown in a corner. Yeah, you know, right. Influencing the children in exactly the same way that you're So describing. you share my concerns? I'm very... I'm totally with you, Rod. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank Lizzie, you. are you joining the movement against yeah. play school? Because <laughs> it's, it's only been running for 50 years. Yeah, no. <laughs> Take the right. bear out. Take the bear out and replace it with you, Rob. 
there's a Rob in there, and then oh, you wave and you talk. Hello. And you talk. And now yeah. we're starting to find yeah. my hidden agenda. You and see, a lair as well. Yeah. You and see, as, as, as a sparsely employed actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is guaranteed. Yeah, and I just think, I just think, you imagine this. So, again, it's the Big Ted idea, but he's got more of a face like me. Um, he's got eyes and eyebrows and a mouth and, and teeth and he can talk and he sounds a lot like me. Let's say it's me. Um, and so I think if we get rid of Big Ted and Rob Carlton becomes the, um, the, the northern star, if you will, of young children all over Australia, they can aspire. I can sit in a chair. I can hug as well as be hugged. <laughs> I can count most, like, right up to 100, you know. And, yeah, and I've got, I've I've got command it. of basic spelling, words of, of five to six letters. There's a lair in there. Oh. <laughs> but does he die? No. Does he live? Yeah. Oh, he lives? On Thank God Friday. Thank God It's Friday with Richard Glover. Well, the improv master Carlo Ritchie was up for the Wheel of Death in November, tackling the topic of sinner. Gosh, what a fun word to say is <laughs> sinner. I, for a very brief time in the year 2011, owned a very small spice business operating out of Chippendale. And let me tell you this, it did not take off in the way that I imagined it. Gone are the halcyon days of the spice trade. Gone are the days when you can just ship spice around and call it gold. Uh, the Chippendale market was not ready for a small spice store. And I made a very, very pertinent mistake uh, in that spice business, and that is the ease at which, which you can misspell some spices. Now, while most people <laughs> will stock... You know, mace, uh, cardamom, <laughs> and importantly, cinnamon. I, sp I stocked a very rare spice known as cinnamon. Uh, <laughs> and let me tell you this, it is not a wonderful spice. Uh, the name might suggest something exotic, something dangerous, uh, something risque for the cooking aficionado. But cinnamon has with it a terrible curse. It was sold to me by an old woman on the side of the <laughs> side of the uh, on the side of uh, Well Street in Redfern. She told me under the full moon that if I took just a pluck of her cinnamon, I could make any dish as wondrous, but it would bear a terrible curse. I was already rushing away as she muttered that under her breath. So I did not take the old lady's mutterings to be the dark omen and por indeed portent they would prove to be. And that night, as I brewed up, what would, I thought, be a wonderful red snapper curry. I, uh, <laughs> I had macadamia nuts in it and everything. I had spared no expense. Uh, and with a tiny dash of cinnamon, I thought, well, here comes paradise, baby. But paradise, as wrote some of the great Latin writers of our time, is lost. Uh, <laughs> and so was the dish, my friends. So was the dish. Nor had it taste even touched my lips. Just the faintest of hints of its aromatic, spicy and very deli delicious smell. I mean, the macadamia nuts really made it pop, everybody. If you're not putting macadamia nuts in your curry, do it now. <laughs> do it now. But nary had it touched my lips, then a foul burning consumed my body. A deep, 
a deep burning from navel to behind the navel. <laughs> the stomach region, if you will. And I was cursed. Cursed with a foulness that I will not repeat here, for it was not a healthy or pretty sight. Uh, but let's just say it kept the ocean fertilised. And... <laughs> And I think in these uncertain times, that is the most important lesson for all. So if you, uh, if you want a delicious dish, cinnamon, not for you. But if you want to keep our kelp supplies stocked up to the brim, then maybe it's worth taking a little trip down under the full moon and just asking anyone you see for a secret spice. Cinnamon, I guess. <laughs> Come on, Richie! Does he die? Does he die? Does he live? He lives. Oh, thank God it's Friday. Welcome back to Thank God It's Friday. Musing about the strange oddities of life is the speciality of all our panellists. And back in October, Mandy Nolan, Subby Valentine and H.G. Nelson discussed whether chivalry was dead and whether a gentleman should provide the full range of device charges on the bedside table. Even a Kindle. That is so creepy. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like you're going, I thought we might have a committed relationship, but I see you have a number of different options. You've got the Android option. You're like, you clearly got it open. There's a, look, it's nice to know you can actually call an Uber to get out. <laughs> uh, so that, that's happening. So I guess having access to the Uber app's good. If they pay, it's good. I think having for the, for the breakfast, you're going to have to have the full gluten-free mm. range. If you have to have a vegan option, you're going to have to have um, kale, turmeric, uh, turmeric latte. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to have all the milks, the soy milk, the almond milk, yeah. the oat milk, the rice milk. The actual full fat milk, the low cream milk, the A2 milk with the high the high milk protein. Uh, you're going to need breast milk. Uh, there's going to have to be a, like a whole lot of the milks. Yeah. Um, this is a lot to establish if yeah, you're just well, chatting at the pub I tell you one what, night. I'm up to my third husband. I've been through a lot of this, and I I can tell you if I go out on the game again, this is what I'm going to be looking for. What I'd like to see is something like TripAdvisor, uh, like a, revi- oh, a reviewing yeah. function yeah. up there, um, so that before you actually go on the date, you just Google the person that's on the Tinder and you see the reviews left by the previous people. Hmm. And it's But really... they might say he's only got one charger. Exactly. And you're going, well, I'm not going there. <laughs> you, remember, remember that time when we were girls and we believed that we'd be rescued by a man on a charger? <laughs> now it's with a charger. Now it's with his chargers. Oh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's my is this Sabi, is this creepy or is it uh, chivalrous? And, and what's the bare minimum these days? I think it is very sensible. I mean, I'm a bit... I don't, I don't, I don't know about the, uh, the Kindle bit. That's going a bit far. I mean, who's going, you know, like you're going... Would you like to read something? Uh, you know. <laughs> Gee, honey, that was great, but I've got to get back to The Handmaid's Tale. You know what I mean? It's a bit weird, isn't it? Going, like, I've got a will kit here. <laughs> that's right. So the Kindle's probably going too far. But the charging bit, I mean, it's great. I mean, young people, because... Things have changed. But doesn't it imply that you're, you've had one other date the week yeah. before and you're expecting a, a, a different date the, yeah. the next day? No, no, it doesn't. That you, you're waiting for the one. The one. And you don't know what the one is uh, going to need. You might need medication. You might need an asthma puffer. You might need warfarin. Exactly. Uh, there might be a bleeder. You've got to... You might need ice packs. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's not going to freak people. I've got a lot of medical gear here. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> just, just don't worry about the tourniquets. It's just in case you're a bleeder. Anyway, when are we going to have our second date? <laughs> defibrillator paddles. <laughs> I can really go, baby, if you know what I mean. You might need these. And the plastic bag isn't How old are the guys you're dating? <laughs> You should see what we do. Uh, yeah. uh, defi- imagine having to smash the glass case. I'm very low tech. I know about first night nerves. Uh, I <laughs> suffer them for myself. And so I usually have a couple of, you know, easy to remember sporting stories, usually about the Adelaide Cup or the Balaclava Cup to settle down first night nerves. And I often serve uh, a rhubarb gin uh, and, you know, occasionally have a fresh, a fresh rhubarb crumble on hand. Uh, How long does the story go, the one about the South? The South well, South. these are elaborate stories uh, because I never date anybody who yeah. probably knows anything about the Adelaide Cup. I'm not knocking people for not knowing these that. These stories are like Rohypno. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, I supply a form guide for that day's racings the following morning, and I find these things are just... People have never come across them before and wonder what they are, and suddenly relaxation occurs. <laughs> a couple of rhubarb gins in your way. Just like the gentleman in America has multiple charges, do you have multiple form guides? Well, <clears throat> no. To different sports? Because no. you know, the, the, they might be interested in the, horse racing, the but trots. they also I mean, might the be interested in the, in the puppies. <laughs> in the a bad night if they're into the trots. <laughs> into the trots. That's back to the medical gear. <laughs> I've, got some, I've got some pills for that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Another of our special discussions also happened in October when TJF was visited by Gary Eck, Richard Feidler and Rebecca de Unamuno and they remembered the days of the long phone call. Oh, look, I still have long phone calls all the time. I mean, I uh, rang Qantas the other day. I was on hold hold for four hours, you know. (laughs) Your call is being placed in a queue and will be answered in seven days. (laughs) You know, I, I thought of something, you know, thinking about this, and I thought this would be a really good idea. So while you're on hold, they connect you to someone else who's also on hold. <laughs> and you can have this kind of oh, chat. Oh, you can chat. You can have yeah. a chat. Party line. Party yeah. line, yeah. We're off to after Bali. Oh, I've been to Bali. Yeah, any good recommendations? Yeah, it's a great restaurant. Chat, 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 yeah. chat. And then Qantas comes back on. Hello. And you're like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's kind of happy. Or they could connect you to specific people, like friends you haven't seen for years, you know, <laughs> connecting you now to your ex-disgruntled girlfriend. No! <laughs> but uh, but it, it, it is true. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still do have long phone calls and I still... I mean, I think the problem is now is that, uh, you know, that, that sense of... It's just too much sort of going on in the, in, the, in the... No one just rings each other out of the blue. Like, there's no random... Well, people say it's rude. Some people regard it as rude these days to ring out of the blue expecting a long phone call. You've, you're supposed yeah. to text and say, would you be free next Thursday at 3 and we could have a long phone yeah. call? It is weird. Like, try it. Ring someone out of the blue. And because they'll respond by going, what is it? What do you want? Like, they think there's something urgent. You go, no, I just wanted to have a chat. Huh? Is, your, is your bottom on fire? Yeah, it will not work. Can, you know, I mean, can you text me this? this is, I'm, I'm freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what all of Gary's friends sound yeah, like, yeah, by yeah. the way. But do, do you remember when phones, like, people didn't have mobile phones and you had the dial phone and, yeah. you know, to make a long-distance phone call was a big deal. Yeah. Like, when, when I was young, my dad had a posting in Europe. He was there for a year in Portugal. 
and we decided to call. And that was a massive deal because STD rates were huge, like seventeen dollars a minute. Mm. A r- a ridiculous. And the yeah. phone number was like one hundred and twenty digits. <laughs> it did, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you had to be connected by eighteen operators. Yeah. And on a dial tone, it go and you get to like the hundred nineteenth digit, and you get it wrong. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the person answers, and it's like it's not your father. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to do it again. Um, but it was kind of crazy. I mean, I guess when you go further back, it was even more insane when people's phones rang. If you rang someone's house, the whole street's phones would ring. Yeah, yeah. Party so, line. Yeah. Party line, yeah. And someone had to answer and you go, oh, no, John lives down the road. I'll go, hey, Eric, can you run down the street and tell John he's wanted on the phone? And there'd always be someone listening in on the phone calls. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, we, we talked about this on the radio uh, one time and, and people were saying, you, you got, you really, your eye, your ears became really accustomed and you'd be having a really intimate yeah. discussion with, with somebody you knew and you could hear the asthmatic man <laughs> <laughs> in house number 10. <laughs> And you say, get off the phone, Harry. Yeah. But imagine that today, Richard, if, if someone's phone rang and everyone's phone rang. That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? And you could all listen in on everyone's conversations. Uh, yeah. mm. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> kind of t- Let's bring it in. <laughs> do you still do long phone calls, Richard? Fiber? No, I've never done long phone calls. I like this new world we're in at the moment. I've always hated long phone conversations. The worst app on your iPhone is phone. Okay? That is the most annoying thing in the world. Long droning phone. I have this relation, I have this arrangement with my wife. Whereas if you know, if, if she's on the phone and someone's going on and on, she's just got to pull that. I, that kind of face, that pointing, manicky face pointing at the phone. And that's when I'll rush into the room and I'll go, quick, Kim, quick, the Whitlam government's been dismissed. And she goes, oh, I've got to go, oh, quick, Kim, quick, quick, John F. Kennedy's been assassinated in Dallas. And over time it's gotten more surreal, like I'll come in and say, quick, Kim, quick, they're banning the colour purple, we have to go and buy some in buckets right now, like that. So I'm glad this is all changing. I'm glad it's all gone. Thank but, you. But, but the, the scientists mm. who were quoted this week said there's something in the oxytocin that is released by the human body during a phone call. It's not matched no, by text. Mm. No, no, that's people just... You know the worst thing about these long phone conversations? I, I don't know how to get out of them. That's the thing. I don't know how to wrap them up. I'm too polite. Uh, I don't know how to go anyway um, <laughs> uh, because that's rude. So I'll sit there. And you know what's the most annoying thing is when someone's banging on on the phone, going through. Now, what did I have to tell you? What else? And I go, and I know they're they're doing something on the internet while they're talking to me. I know they're playing patience on the internet or solitaire there. You know, what did I have to... Click, click, click. It's like... What's what's weird, Richard, is your show's called Conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So during your interviews, during yeah. your way into it every day. Yeah. Anyway, 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 it's coming around to midday. Anyway, so is that the time? Yeah. So when yeah. you're talking to people, are oh, you yeah. just quietly going, "Oh shut oh, up, God." <laughs> Rebecca, do you do the, still do the long phone? I call? don't. No, I I don't. I don't really have time for long phone calls anymore. But I am nostalgic. I'm nostalgic for them. I I, I miss them. And, and like Gary was saying. It's kind of it was they were the phone was the focal point of the house. It was like the unifying thing in the household. Like when it rang, we were all like, oh, "It could be for any one of us," you know. It was like the anticipation of who's it going to be for. And then my mum would make us. She listened to a, a, a Western Sydney radio station, and you had a competition where if they rang you and you answered the phone with their station name is my station, you'd win. Oh, yeah. You are allowed 000. to use the words two WS. Two WS. Um, yeah. I'm just I'm just not giving them airtime. 
God. Um, no, and then and so you say TWS is my station, and Mum said to us, um, if they, it's them and they ring and you don't answer with that, you owe me ten thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so the phone would ring and we'd all be like stuck to our chairs because we didn't want to be the one to get up and say. I was wondering, it was I was wondering why every time I ring you to come on the show, you say TWS <laughs> is my station. <laughs> it's ingrained in me. But it was so good. Like, and I just remember it's it's nostalgic for me because like the phone call, you'd look at it. Ours was a mounted one like on the wall and you just look at it and I'd climb up onto the kitchen bench because you could sit on the bench to reach it because I'm short, remember? And, um, and it would be always when you decided to get big and brave to call that boy, you know, and you'd go, I'm going to call him. I'm going to give him a call tonight. And you'd have to dial the numbers and then wait for it to ring and then answer. And you knew it was going to be one of his parents, but you were like, you can do this, you can do this. And you'd be just like, hi, um, is David there, please? <laughs> and you'd do it. And it was just such a thrill. And even though you knew everyone in the household could hear that conversation because the phone was in the centre of the house, it was just so thrilling. Yeah, and now we just text people. Even when people's birthdays. Remember when we used to get calls on birthdays? Mm. Nobody calls for birthdays. Now it's a Facebook app or it's a, you know, it's a text or... And even I find myself doing it, like texting loved ones for birthdays and things. It's terrible. But you used to, like, arrange to meet at the town hall steps at 6pm and you couldn't change those plans because if you didn't meet at the town hall steps at 6pm, they'd leave without you. (laughs) You know, stuff like that. I miss all of that. It kept us connected, not having mobile phones. Mm. The long phone call was there because it was something that we, you know, it was part of our lives. All those long phone calls. All those long phone and did calls. And da- did David come to the phone? Ah, <laughs> and if only his name was David. Um, yeah, yeah, they come to the phone. And then that was so funny because all that build-up, they get on the phone and you go, hi. And they go, hi. <laughs> what are you doing? Watching telly. <laughs> what are you watching? Movie. <laughs> See you tomorrow at school. Thank <laughs> <laughs> God it's... Hope you're enjoying this special edition of Thank God It's Friday. The coronavirus might have taken away our live studio audience, but it hasn't taken away our sense of TGIF fun. We're very pleased to have you with us. Gretel Colleen, Sobby Valentine and Carlo Ritchie pondered the idea of Emma Watson's new self-partnering mantra and the positive ways they can spin aspects of their own lives. I'd just like to comment on this self-partnered situation. (laughs) I think that's a terrible phrase and I think it sounds lonely and weirdly sexual. <laughs> and so I don't think we should do that. I think if you're going to make up something, you should do like conscious uncoupling. That was an excellent phrase. From yourself though. From Hard Gwyneth. Achieve. Yes. Yeah, but this is the problem. I just say this to everyone who's single out there. Don't define yourself by the couple's paradigm because it makes you sound like someone who's trying to fit into yours. She should just use the word free or happy, or able to do whatever she wants. <laughs> Just minor little things. I would like to say that she should also not limit herself to just one partner. It's very good to have a lot of partners. You don't call it dating, you call it auditioning. <laughs> I think that's good. And I think it's time that a lot of single women realise that this is a good idea because one good woman needs at least five men. Mm. That's well, just all, the math. All of whom spark joy at the rate of about 20%. That is actually accurate. Put them together, 100% sparking of joy. I'm just putting it out there. So just a little positivity for all the single girls. Problem solved. Yeah. Subby, how do you, you... Yeah, well, look, I'm... Uh, the self-partner thing is a bit... It does, it does sound a bit weird. But, I mean, if it sparks joy, good luck to her. Mm. I mean, you can self... I mean, 
Probably one partner's enough. If you're self part can you do if you've got multiple personalities, how many can you take on a few? I don't know how it works. Self polygamy. Yeah, yeah self polygamy. Yeah. Very nice. So yeah, but yeah, look, good luck to her. Uh, what do you say? Other words that we might have come up with? Well, look, you know, Richard, and we've discussed this many times that I'm. Uh, some people would say that I'm skinny. Mm. Never. And uh, no, it's terrible. Uh, I'm not skinny. I'm slim and healthy. Uh, I'm slealthy, Richard. <laughs> that's the word. That's the word I'm going with. I'm slealthy. Uh, I'm like one of those wiry sort of guys who into fitness and exercise and diet and exercise. I don't do the diet and exercise, but I'm slealthy, so it's fine. Yeah. So people will hammer me for that, and that's fine. But that's that's the word I'm going for, and I'm sticking with it. You look like a bag full of spanners. I look like a bag of spanners. That's exactly right. Uh, it's, but you know, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? <laughs> exactly. Self-equipped. <laughs> exactly right. Other words that I've come up with. Look, there is a school of thought, Richard, that I'm a bit lazy. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people have said this. Uh, I'd give you a list, but I couldn't be bothered writing it. But uh, a lot of people have said this to me over the years. But I'm not. I'm uh, I'm relaxed and efficient. Yeah. I'm relaxient. Yeah. Uh, and this is key because a lot of people think you're lazy, but it's just you're being efficient because you just don't do stuff that doesn't need to be done. Mm. That's the key, isn't it? Well, do other people do it for you? Uh, no. You just like don't... your wife? No. Just uh. stuff that doesn't need to be done, ironing. How do you burn off so many calories since you do nothing? It's tricky, isn't it? Well, what part of that is not eating enough, clearly. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just – it's fidgeting. So not actually achieving anything but moving all the time without doing anything. It's very rare and quite difficult to achieve. Yeah. But I've spent a publish, lot of time. You should I know publish it. the fidget diet. I actually really should. <laughs> How it, I fidgeted my way to a – what was it? St- st- slealthy, slealthy, slealthy body. Right. You but, don't – see, everyone there sitting there thinking, look at that guy. My legs are going nine to the dozen under the table. <laughs> I'm also, just I'm burning calories like you wouldn't believe just sitting here. But we don't know that you're healthy. We just uh, know that you're skinny. Yeah, well, no. No, no, because I'm slealthy and it's in the word. Yeah, I think so I self-nominated slealthy doesn't count. Yeah, Where's don't, your GP? Don't, yeah, no. <laughs> well, that's the other crucial thing. You don't go to the doctor. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be silly. God forbid. <laughs> Carlo, uh, what do you think of self-partnering and how else have you recast things to make your problems look better? It's funny, actually. The, when, the term self-partnering reminds me of when I was practising a one-man improv show when I was living in Berlin and I would spend a lot of the day just talking to myself and doing scenes with myself at home. So that's kind of like self-partnered in a way. Yes. You know? And it's not a great way to spend time, <laughs> let me tell you that. Um, I, I think of this one, I have uh, been a long uh, supporter of using self as opposed to un, so rather than unpartnered. Um, the classic one, of course, is self-employed. Um, yes. I've been. Yes. It is a very. It's. I've been using that for a while. And it's, well, what is uh, the difference between being unemployed and self-employed? The sense of direction, <laughs> I would say. It's also the word employed. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There's no un. Yeah. Mm. And you've got and when you get rid of the un, oh boy, does it lift your day! I tell you. What. <laughs> uh, you go from zero to hero in a moment. That's nice. I like. I'll that. Tell you what. Um, I, I think the one that I, the classic one I like to think of is you know rather than being drunk, for example, you know you could be self befuddled. Um, or, or, or self-confused. Uh, oh, I'm not drunk at all. Just a little bit self-directionless. Um, so yeah, I think yeah. that those are my my little schemers. They're excellent. I have one word which I did not make up, which I think no one should use. Yeah. Freelancer. Yeah. Oh. Because a lot of creative people use that term. And well, it goes back to the Middle Ages, doesn't it? 
But it, it's, it's the person with the lance who yeah, well, will sell I, themselves I, to King Arthur to, 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 to slay the dragon. That's but it, it sounds like you're kind of unemployed. And when you think about it, the same work environment exists for a plumber or a lawyer, anyone who doesn't have regular people there, and they don't call themselves freelancers. But you see, the difference is that I'm selling a lance. Um, <laughs> I, I've got a, a beautiful Destria. She's a great horse. And um, we're a... really ready to put it to the, put it to the European. Oh, so you're not self-partnered <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. Can, you be a self, can you be a self-lancer? Does that work? It's tough. Um, <laughs> you have to be very accurate. <laughs> Thank God it's Friday with Richard Glover. Well, every week our studio audience is treated to some live music. And back in November, Reg Mombasa and Peter O'Doherty, the brothers from Mental as Anything, came in with their outfit, Drog Trumpet. We had a chat and listened to some of their glorious music. All on Thank God It's Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Dog Trumpet in the house. Reg Mombasa, Peter O'Doherty, Bernie Hayes, gentlemen, welcome. Peter, tell us about what happened uh, back in October as, as the great Richard Gill was, was really lying, dying in his house in Stanmore. Um, they gathered a, uh, a cluster of musicians and they thought they'd get a few. They got about 70 who, who um, gathered outside his house, uh, some professional and some you know, just kids and uh, everybody in between, and they, they played for him mm. outside the house. So it was a beautiful, impromptu sort of celebration and all his well, favourite, you know, like apparently he loved the Dam Busters theme, so they played yeah, they all played, his favourite stuff. They, they played, played the Dam Busters theme, and so I think it was just a testament to the fact that he was very well regarded and, um, you know, had uh, done a lot of really great stuff in the music world and people just wanted to show how much they felt for him. It reminds you, you know, how important the music, you know, he's, he was essentially a music educator, great conductor as well, but a music educator. Who, who was your music teacher, you said, Reg? Who, who taught you music? Who inspired well, you? My cousin Philip showed me three chords, and that is still the um, extent of my musical <laughs> education. Well, they work for metal as anything, so why, why try to, you know? Three is enough. That, the hill, that's the hillbilly attitude to music. Yeah. So three chords, how many bars? Three. Oh, three. As many as you want. Well, yeah, it depends how much you want to drink. <laughs> well, musicians don't know when to stop, so it's, it's infinite amount of bars. Yeah. And also we played it in a lot of bars since then. Too, yeah, that's so. right. We're Six, a bar band. 16 bars and still drinking. <laughs> 16 uh, bar band. Who, uh, who taught you, Peter? Who inspired you? Who was your Richard Gill in a, in a well, way? Well, we had a music teacher called Miss Thew at high school, but I didn't really stay with the music for, for, um, beyond the first year of high school. Um, it was really after I started uh, finding beer was really good and cigarettes and anything else that sort of seemed a bit illicit was... Sort of that went hand in hand with rock and roll. So, it was... but, you, but you both had this sort of competition between your urge as artists and as, as, as painters and so forth, and your urge as as, as musicians. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. We don't have much brain working, so it's just that little bit that uses you, know, you use for <laughs> music and art. It's it's, just, it's the same hand scrubbing away, you know, at the, at the pencil or the or the guitar. So it's exactly the same thing. Just keep the hand moving and, yeah. and insert either. The, uh, the brain has nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> As you'll soon hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Dog Trumpet, what's the difference musically between your band Metal as Anything and your band Dog Trumpet? Um, uh, four members as against five. <laughs> <laughs> and also we're, we're a little bit uh, more mature. We're more sophisticated. Than Metal as Anything? We're, well, we're older. <laughs> yeah, we were just babies then. It was just, we were just discovering how to, you know, how to do it. How to do it. You got a new album out, right? 
uh, about to uh, drop our seventh dog trumpet album called Great South Road because, Reg? Because that was the road um, that, uh, that ran between Auckland and Wellington and it was our hometown, Papakura, was on that road and also it's implying that the human race is going down the south and southern road to hell. We're going to hell hmm. swiftly. We're doomed, so enjoy the enjoy the show. Enjoy today. As long as as long as hell's got a toilet in it, yeah. I'm quite happy. <laughs> Reg, how does it feel that you now that your daughter Claudia O'Doherty is so much more famous than you and your brother? <laughs> yes, no, it's really it's bitter. Really, it's really we're really bitter and very unhappy about that. <laughs> she is just fantastic, by the way. She is just she lights up a screen. What are you going to play for us? It'll do a song called You've Heard It All Before, which is a, an a, apology song, um, sort of, you know, the way males make superficial apologies at the time of breakup. Mm. It's not you, it's me, it's, you know, you've heard it all before, blah, yeah. blah, blah. You didn't spark joy, so out you go. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Reg Mombasa, Peter O'Doherty, that band of brothers with Bernie Hayes from Dog Trumpet, ladies and gentlemen. Run my finger on the dusty sill, listening through the wall Looking up at the ceiling and the room at the end of the hall Oh, I disappeared on the weekend Did I miss your telephone call? I'm sorry But you've heard it all before Three o'clock in the morning Opens up the door To the solitude of cars and cranes And crowded streets and stores I'm trying not to worry Most things will never happen I'm sorry But you've heard it all before Oh, don't worry A long story getting small Blow away clouds, I don't need you anymore I disappeared on the weekend Did I miss your telephone call? I'm sorry But you've heard it all before I'm sorry You've heard it all before Oh, don't worry You've heard it all before 
Talk Trumpet, ladies and gentlemen. Please thank Reg Bombassa, Peter O'Doherty, and Bernie Hayes. Thank God it's... Thank God it's... Now, with a special Letter from America... With Tommy Dane. Yes, it is time now for another Letter from America with Tommy Dean as our TGIF regular. Returns home so his Aussie son can experience life in the homeland. But after two decades down under, can Tommy ever fit back into polite American society? Well, he joins us again on the line. Tommy, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to you from this, my bunker of fun. You're homeschooling. I am homeschooling. Uh, We officially closed our Illinois schools as of Monday, and I now have a homeschool regime. (laughs) When I think of the people uh, among my parent group who might make fine teachers in in these difficult times, you aren't on the list, Tommy. I appreciate that. Uh, A lot of people would take insult, but I am fully aware of my limits. Uh, I lack organization. I lack chalk. I lack discipline in the classroom. Uh, but luckily, uh, they have an online program. So the kids meet with the teacher, each teacher, for 20 minutes in an online forum. Uh-huh. Uh, somehow, my son managed to get detention on day two. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. How can you get detention when you're being homeschooled? Not entirely sure how effective a deterrent it is, but from what I can tell, it just means he has to stay online with the teacher for another 20 minutes. I reckon if if you're, if you're, uh, if you're expelled during home, home schooling, you should have to go into school. It would be much better. Make him go in and clean something. That's what it needs to do. Go in and sanitize the entire gymnasium. Now I want to hear about this sort of learning from home business because, you know, it's a great debate in Australia. We haven't closed the schools. Some people think we should, some people think we, we shouldn't, but if you do close the schools, do the kids really hunker down and do this, uh, you know, electronic learning at home? I'm going to go out on a limb here and based on limited anecdotal evidence say, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, it is, they are on holiday. He had, he gets up, you know, it instantly kills that sort of opening moment where they have to get up and be prepared for the day, get dressed, get a shower, you know, all that sort of stuff that sets your day. He literally rolls out of bed, (laughs) turns on the computer. I think he's taking his class from the bed. And then as soon as it's done, shuts the lid on his computer and rolls back into bed. And then around noon, the phone starts blowing up and all the kids are figuring out where they're going to go today and hang out. Okay, because this is the problem. We don't want them hanging out with each other. That's the whole point. That is the whole point. So I don't exactly understand how this solves the problem. Uh, What it has solved is we were running into a bit of debt with the school lunch program. So that's off. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the school lunch was free there. Isn't it the whole point? Oh, no. Certainly not our school anyway. They charge you. But now it just, you know, shifted the responsibility back to here. So I was already felt a bit under the pump trying to create one meal a day, and now I'm up for four. <laughs> well, look, we'll talk about food in a second. Uh, with, with the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the being basically on holidays, he's just hanging out with one mate, I, I presume, so that's okay. I presume. I have a mortal fear of anything outside, so I just hear the car pull up. From what I can tell by peeking through the blinds, <laughs> no more than three kids per car. <laughs> 
That's only because they have these little American hot rods. So I think three is about as most they can get, regardless of the viral situation. Yeah, but they're <laughs> using those cars to get to other teenagers. You're aware of that, aren't you? But they're all poor. That's what I, the only thing I'm really counting on is they all have completely no money. <laughs> so they all toss a buck or two from their change drawer to pay for the gas. And I think this is a very much a trip back to 1950. They are just cruising. <laughs> They drive, and there's nowhere to go. Everything's closed. All the restaurants are closed. All the, you know, pubs and bars and stores and outside of the grocery store and Walmart. I don't know why I separated those, by the way. Walmart sells groceries. I don't uh, want to dismiss uh, Walmart on product placement. Well, it's mainly, gu- it's mainly guns, isn't it? But- it's mostly guns <laughs> and weird people. And it's probably the one place you should not be shopping at the moment. Uh, allegedly. I don't know how to get away from that legally. There's no Walmart in Australia. I'm sure I'm fine. <laughs> I would not go there, is what I am saying. Okay, so everything's uh, closed, because this is weird, because like, when we spoke, we spoke just one week ago, obviously, and at that point, uh, your president was still saying, oh, it's all going to be fine, and everything seemed to be open. What's It's pretty dramatic change, isn't it? 180. Uh, we have closed everything. All the sports have shut down. Uh, state by state is slightly different on things like schools and pubs and, and various things, but... Uh, Illinois, where we are living, was the very first to shut it all down. Pretty much everything is shut except supermarkets and a couple of base shops. Everyone's trying to turn to the delivery economy. Like I'm getting just flyer after flyer of local restaurants saying that we'll drive the food to you. I don't know how they hand it to you. That still seems to be a problem. I don't know how to get a delivery from 1.4 meters away. (laughs) Well, they presumably put it on the doorstep, ring the bell and run. they touched it. They've touched it. <laughs> yeah, they have. I mean, I suppose the good thing is you're, you're – I happen to know this uh, from knowing you. You're quite a good cook. This has come in handy. I cannot believe how I am trained so perfectly for this. Not only am I a good cook, I am a very unexpected cook. So what's, so, an, what's an unexpected uh, cook? I'm not reaching big. Like Asher was complaining that pasta needs sauce, and I pointed out that all it needs is butter and a bit of salt. And that is its own sauce. I call it butter la saute. <laughs> And we get fancy the next day, we uh, change out the salt for pepper, and then we put the salt on the second. See how that's different? Yeah. Pepper, then salt. Yeah. Now we have cassia pepe <laughs> with salt. So, so you, you say you've always, always known how to whip something up from the larder. You've got to pull it out. You know, the other secret is I'm calling them sort of you know, imaginary sandwiches. Like, you know, when you get done eating, it's really the memory of the meal that I think makes you satisfied. It isn't actually in the meal where the satisfaction happened. It's the memory of the meal that came. So, for example, uh, we recently, uh, based on lack of choice at the store, uh, had hot dogs. But then the next day, we didn't have hot dogs, but we still had extra hot dog buns because, for some reason, we've never matched the amount of hot dogs in a pack to the amount of hot dog buns in a pack. Uh. An ongoing controversy from the days of buns and dogs. (laughs) But I found... That if I just put a little bit of ketchup and mustard on the last end of an empty hot dog roll and then ate that and then thought to myself, well, wasn't that a fine hot dog? Now I have the memory of the hot dog and that final bit of just a bit of bread and sauce. Perfect. I I don't know if that quite answers the protein requirements of uh, a, a young chap like your son. No, but then I say, if you want your protein, lick out the bean cans from the day before. Get a rubber scraper. The secret to survival in the apocalypse. A good rubber scraper in the kitchen. Rubber spatula, rubber scraper. Yeah. Get every little bit out of the tin. (laughs) 
Well, I certainly think we all shouldn't be wasting stuff at the moment. I think to waste food at the moment when there's a bit of scarcity happening, bit of you know supply, uh, well, getting it on the shelves problems uh, is is wrong. So we had this discussion at home this morning. We went through the fridge and anything that's just about to expire, you know, the zucchinis that looked a, a little bit tired, and we're going to have those tonight. It's a, it's a sort of you know a, a use by date dining. It's a fun game. It's a fun game. Uh, we have sell by dates in the state here. So like the chicken that we had tonight, uh, it said sell by Tuesday, but today was Thursday. So it meant we couldn't buy it past two days ago, but presumably it would survive on the shelf for a couple more days. And I'm waiting to find out tomorrow. <laughs> so <laughs> the, that went. So the, the markets like here, they, they are quite a lot of empty shelves. Empty, empty in weird ways. Uh, like, you know, the stuff you would expect, dried goods, you know, pasta, beans, lentils, uh, although hilariously, I say that from a American news reporting point of view, from a local anecdotal point of view, I do not think my town has anything ever with red lentils. There are so many red lentils. <laughs> it is. It, we, we were talking about this on the radio yesterday of what is still available because, you know, locusts have been through the supermarkets. The, the shelves are stripped bare, but there's still frozen Brussels sprouts <laughs> in the cabinet. Agreed. Exactly. Frozen Brussels sprouts, red lentils, and uh, Asian sauce. I, it's a very limited Asian grocery area in our supermarket, yeah, and it is yeah. fully stocked. If I had a walk, I would be in heaven. It's very weird. We also <laughs> talked about the, the weird things that are in short supply. Uh, a lady rang up yesterday and said she, she's had live chickens for ages. You know, she has backyard chooks, and she thought, oh, everyone needs the eggs at the moment. I'll buy another couple. And um, can't get them. There's been a prepper push on live chickens so they can lay their eggs. That's a fine idea. I have taken to uh, planting potatoes in the backyard. <laughs> How long are you expecting this crisis to last? You got to be ready. Uh, yeah, that's the problem here. You start going day by day and you lose the long game. So well, the I've backyard planned... has been sectioned uh, off. I've got uh, potatoes. I've got corn. I've got tomatoes. Potatoes I have high hope for. I am not entirely sure uh, how much yield I will get from putting a couple cans of tomatoes and corn in the ground. Yeah, potatoes and corn. What are you, an Aztec? I was raised in the Southwest. These are the, these are the pillars of my people. <laughs> See, I've planted English spinach, uh, which is five weeks maturation. I'm going to be laughing. Well, yeah, because not only does it mature in five weeks, and then you can harvest it, and then no one will ever eat it. That's perfect. perfect. <laughs> no, it's nice. I mean, my only problem is the only place I could find a plant is in the front garden, not the back garden. So I wondered if, if you were going to come back uh, in an emergency fast, can you bring me a gun? <laughs> it sounds like you need even more like tiger pits. Yeah, yeah. A moat. Yeah, dig yourself some proper. But uh-huh. who was that? I forget who was the great Australian uh, TV, did like an urban show about eating in the streets, basically just that. The idea was that you could just go for a walk down Sydney streets and grab a lemon from over the fence, get an orange. In your I, cave, I, know, I mean, not. We, I mean, it could be it could be Don Burke, but we don't talk about him anymore. So I don't. Oh, know. fair enough. But well, then I'm glad he's gone. Glad he's gone. I'm sorry I brought it up. But the point <laughs> is, uh, in five weeks, get yourself over to Richard's house. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Or or maybe hide it. Maybe the secret is clever planting. Like you want the spinach, but then in front of it put up a kale hedge <laughs> a brussels sprout paddock a brussels sprout bullock you know some <laughs> sort of uh what's the other one plant-based any any of the plant-based meat doesn't seem to be moving no that's right uh, my pr- young producer oscar said v- vegan hamburgers 
are plenty, apparently. Yum. Yeah, and I, spam I found uh, used to be very popular, still very popular in the state of Hawaii, but in the rest of the world, plenty of spam. Yeah. If you want to uh, open your meat with a tin. <laughs> the know. other thing which was on the kind of weird things that are in short supply, there were, there were things that surprised me, although once you thought about them, thought, yeah, okay, fine. So office chairs, everyone's bought the office chairs because they're all working from home. I, I guess that's obvious. But dumbbells, no one wants to go to gym anymore because the, they think the gym is germy. Uh, so they've bought every dumbbell so they can get buff at home. I guess, but I don't think they're combining their two passions. Why wouldn't you just deadlift the pallet of toilet paper you hoarded? <laughs> that, that just makes more sense to me. Yeah. They're sort of naturally dumbbelled anyway. You know, put a thousand rolls of toilet paper on your uh, bar. <laughs> Sarah McDonald, who works here, has got a friend who's been trolling the people on eBay who have hoarded the toilet paper and are now trying to resell it. And so this person is kind of, because they're all not only evil, but morons. So he's been trolling them and sending them requests like, how do I know that that toilet paper is new? I want to make sure that it's not being used. Can you send me a proof of identity, proof of life uh, with the toilet paper (laughs) together with today's newspaper? And these... Evil morons have been writing back to, oh, look, I haven't got a newspaper, mate, sorry. Uh, and he said, well, can you shoot it in front of the Channel 9, you know, the Today Show or something, so I know it's... T- <laughs> and, they've, and they've actually done it and sent him back the photo. <laughs> I didn't realise there would be such fun to be had. Now I yeah. want to do that. So there's 10,000 people, something like that, well, well, any hundreds of people on eBay trying to sell this toilet paper, which they've gone and pinched off the rest of us, and they are available to be mocked trolled and otherwise abused and i i have just i've got a new hobby i am going straight on after this <laughs> getting myself involved that's so 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 exciting <laughs> proof of uh, life i proof. had thought about i had thought about the secondary market you know huh. just go ahead and admit that you know lightly used toilet paper <laughs> by a little old lady who only went to church once a week yeah like like the mythical motor car yeah well, you know i don't i don't want to get too scatological but you know there's always that last piece that comes back clean Tear it off. The perforations yeah. are there for a reason. You know, that last little check, the check piece, the last check piece that says, you're done, save it. A lot of people don't save the check piece, but now I think you got to save the check piece. Yesterday's check piece is tomorrow's start piece. <laughs> but then you'd have to stitch it together somehow. You can't use it individual is. Scares, squares. Nah, then you, you know, now you've got thousands of toilet paper rolls building up, presumably, as well. Uh, my mom used to make advent calendars out of those. You know, take the toilet paper rolls and glue them to something, and now you oh, have okay. a little shelf. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. put together 30 toilet paper rolls. Use that as your check sheet holder. Yeah. Is your mother well? Because last time we talked about your mother, I think she got a bit offended. She got offended. She was offended by, I, so I want to be careful where I go here, but let's just say uh, she has never been more on the warpath against socialism than right now. <laughs> Why is it the fault of socialism? Oh, because of China. Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> she heard a word on Fox News, and now she wants to say it a lot. It was terrible when Trump called it a foreign virus, wasn't it? It Come is on. so terrible. It is so terrible. Um, and then, and then backed it up. Like it's one thing. Like it'd be one thing if you made the mistake, and then when they said, "Hey, maybe you should change that," he went, "You know, you're right." <laughs> but he never says, "You know, you're right." He always says, "Oh no." Not only is it a foreign virus, it's the China Wuhan, China totally China virus. <laughs> it's the Chinese food virus. It's the if you even know somebody who's Chinese virus virus. 
See, there's an argument that goes the other way, which, not about where the virus came from, but there's an argument that goes the other way about socialism and capitalism, that what has actually happened is that capitalism has been proved by this virus to be this very fragile thing that collapses in upon itself at the merest puff of wind, and actually that's when suddenly people realise how useful governments are, and at the moment we kind of turned it, we've forgotten all that sort of free market rhetoric, and we're actually understanding that at some time anyway you need a government. I agree. And that's what I tried to explain to her as she complained that she really hopes those socialist idiots don't get elected. And then a moment later said she was very much looking forward to the stimulus checks from the government coming out. Yeah, well, uh, Trump has opened the wallet, hasn't he? Seemingly. Uh, I don't know exactly how to get my name on that list. (laughs) You are the only person in the planet on the planet who's missed out, aren't you? A tsunami of money is coming, but you're not here with a welfare card. You're not there with a citizenship card. You missed out. I come from staunch people. <laughs> we'll be right. We'll ride this out. <laughs> but yeah, it does uh, do feel silly. Uh, but I voted. I voted. Illinois had its state primary. So I got to uh, voice. I got to put my voice into the American political vortex. And I'm very pleased to say that I lost. Because <laughs> Illinois was won by Biden, right? It was won hugely by Biden. So I tried very hard to get one of those socialist idiots elected just to drive my mother crazy. <laughs> <laughs> totally, uh, Tommy, I should mention to people who don't know him well, is totally uninterested in politics other than its ability to annoy his mother. That's really, it's really the only reason I get involved is so I can keep up with her conversations at a tangential level. Yeah. But yeah, she was deeply offended, deeply offended. What's going on with those Democrats, those crazy socialist Democrat idiots? Creating this virus, making people's lives difficult. And then, of course, she's upset because, you know, she's older, so she lives in a retirement community. So everyone, basically, in the city that she lives in is 55 or older, in reality, 70 or older. And so that city has very much been told, do not go outside. Mm-hmm. And, and she's upset that she just got her concealed permit carrying license, and now she can't even go outside with her gun hidden. <laughs> it's no good packing heat if you're just in the kitchen. Well, That's maybe, right. Maybe in her house, is. she's quite quite acceptable to walk around with your gun. Nobody got you no problems with it if it's exposed in the household. She wants to go out where she can hide it. Yeah, yeah. She's See, that would be tough. Her. If you, you finally got you concealed... See, I've heard a lot of very heart-moving stories during this coronavirus pandemic, but that, that really is makes me very sad. You've finally got your concealed carry licence, and yet, yet you're not allowed to use it. I know. And she even got a special bum bag that looks a bit like there's diamonds on it to sort of invite trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so they're thinking, who's, who's this rich woman? Let's steal That's those right. diamonds. They make a move, and she's like, finally, all that work pays off. So that diamond-encrusted bum bag is just a sign. It's effectively a sign saying, go on, go on, try. Have a crack. Have, Have a, a crack. crack. Have a crack. <laughs> See how far you get. <laughs> That's right. And right now she's drawn the line. So quite literally, if you get inside 1.3 meters, you better get ready. See, I would like her to take on the virus. You know, the whole world is fighting the virus. I think your mother is the one I'd like to see leading the battle against the virus. I have to say she has amazing organizational and logistical skill. So I believe that if she was given the right tools, uh, she would. And it would start with a stern word. Yeah, yeah. First off, how dare you mix with all those people you shouldn't mix with? That would be the first word of that with. Yeah. Secondly, have a hard look at yourself, virus. Focus. You're not focused. You're like spreading out everywhere. What's the point of that? Focus. 
thirdly, get back to where you came from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with, with, uh, you, uh, you painted this image of yourself sort of peering from your bunker out into the world as Asher got into the car with the teenagers. Are you letting him bring his friends back or are you totally isolating? What are you doing? I, I had to let them I didn't want to let them in, but um, as part of the homeschool regime, uh, the one thing that I have discovered I'm quite good at and I'm trying to educate my son in is the maths of the casino game craps, dice probability, odds, uh, because casinos may be the last way to make money available to us in these hard-charging economic times. Okay. I mean, so, this, this sounds very noble of you to teach your son maths, but it also sounds as if you're trying to fleece him and his friends. Not him, but yes. And, not, and fleece is the wrong word. Uh, I believe in the casino industry, we call it the house edge. <laughs> So the house edge is anywhere from 1.4 to 70%, depending on the bets that you choose to put down. And I make this fully transparent to my clients, or as he calls them, his friends. And then, you said, uh, before, then you said before they got no money, so how much are you managing to take off them? Well, we uh, currently, not true money, but uh, currently we're working uh, two sheets of toilet paper is a dollar. <laughs> Uh, it is a $2 minimum table that I run here at the house because generous. Uh, you can get triple odds on the 12 on the field bet, so that's worth six sheets of paper right there. Uh, Eight. Sorry. <laughs> all this talk of math, and I think I just screwed up all my math. I'm very confident the homeschooling is going very well. We'll get another update on how homeschooling with Tommy Dean and Asher is going in the state of Illinois next week, if we're all still here. Hey, good on you, Tommy. Daddy needs to do a pair of shoes. Come on, six. <laughs> that was Special Letter from America with Tommy Dane. And there will be another Letter from America, God and Coronavirus, and Tommy's mother willing on this station next week. You're listening to ABC Radio Sydney.